Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Alex. It's that time again. Another mailbag. What are we getting into today? Yeah, it's August. That means it's time for a new one because it's the dead time of the season. So we're going to talk about where the Knicks go as, as far as what players they potentially look at if a Donovan Mitchell trade does not come to pass. We're going to talk about whether Isaiah Hartenstein might actually be a better option than Mitchell Robinson at center throughout the season. Then we'll talk about when we think a Mitchell trade might go down and... Gavin, this question is mostly just for me, but someone wanted to know our favorite professional wrestlers. So I'm going to give my opinion on that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. You are locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, and that includes, and you know this if you're seeing our smiling faces on a weekend, we're now on YouTube. So check us out there. Throw us a subscription, throw us a like, throw us a comment. Even if you don't want to watch us on YouTube, it is a big, 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 big help if you can throw us a subscription on there. But Who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster about to get into that, uh, covering some of the best high school football teams in the country in the next couple of weeks. Uh, much more relevant to your listening concerns, he is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest sticks website out there. You can check them out on social media at thestrick.land. And Alex, frankly, there's not a lot going on right now. So we said, you know what, let's, let's give it up to the people. What do they want us to talk about? And the first question is a good one. It comes from John Rodriguez at... John Rod 3398 on Twitter, and he wants to know, if the Knicks don't land Mitchell and go into the season as is, who do you think the next target should be? Alex, I'll, I'll throw that your way. Well, I guess like the first thing is, when I first read this question, I, I didn't know if this necessarily assumed that Mitchell gets traded somewhere else. So obviously, if Mitchell doesn't get traded somewhere else, you keep your eyes on him. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a more a more perfect fit for what the Knicks want to do right now. And I think that as the season goes on, Ainge's leverage in the situation should go down. I know if you talk to a Jazz fan, they would say the opposite. Of course, that's going to happen. Everybody wants to think that their team has the most leverage. In my humble opinion, I think that as the season goes on, if the Jazz, quite frankly, are winning too many games, and I don't think that Mitchell would be okay with like being told, no, just sit for a while. You have a like quote unquote injury now. You know, you're going to rest and load manage or whatever. He would be like, nah, like, you know, this is going to go one way or the other. Either I'm going to be here and I'm going to play or you're going to trade me. Um, and, you know, if they start winning too many games, I think their ultimate goal is to get into the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes or maybe Scoot Henderson or whoever, you know, they have a preference for in the upcoming draft. And so, Obviously, Mitchell is the guy that you stick with if things don't work out before the season. Uh, but Gavin, assuming I, I think this might be more in the spirit of the question, even though it was it wasn't worded definitively one way or the other. 
assuming Mitchell gets traded somewhere else, I don't know where, because we've talked about it ad nauseum, but I don't think that any team can put together an offer nearly as good as the Knicks offer. Uh, but assuming he gets traded somewhere else and he's off the market, where do you think the Knicks should go then as far as other players to potentially keep an eye on? Yeah, so this is when we were talking about this question pre-show, this was an aspect of it I didn't even consider. But he doesn't say like who's the next star the Knicks are gonna target. So you can make a case like, well, the move would just be to get off of Randall and find a backup power forward. And we've gone over some of those guys at Carmelo Anthony, or I would prefer someone like a PJ Washington, like anyone who has some flexibility defensively and can shoot the ball, uh, would be a really good fit for me. But in terms of stars, which I think is what people really want to hear about, um, the first name my mind went to was Bradley Beal because that that contract with the Wizards felt like a formality in the sense of uh, you get your money that you can't get from any other team. And then if it gets to a point that I, I don't I, I genuinely don't know if it's inevitable because everything Bradley Beal has ever said and done suggests he's fine just staying in Washington and, and with them kind of being mediocre for the rest of his career. But now that he now that he is paid, I can see that shifting relatively quickly. And the thing is, the Wizards are not going to be good this year. I think we can say that pretty definitively. I think they're a very long shot to make the playoffs. If they do make the playoffs, a uh, extreme long shot to win more than one game. I think there's a very real world where the Wizards are are marketing him to trade. The question is, if you're the New York Knicks, do you want to give up significant assets to a guy who, unlike Donovan Mitchell, is I wouldn't, it'd be a stretch to say on the tail end of his prime, but certainly he's not, he's not young. I think he's, he's just about 30 at this point. Um, and his game should age pretty well, but you're not getting someone on the upswing. He's making an absurd amount of money and he's not really changing your title trajectory. In fact, I would, I would argue, even though Beal's like a slightly better defensive player, I, I think Donovan Mitchell today is probably the better player. It, it's pretty close, but I, I think I would lean taking Mitchell. Um, so it all depends on what the package would be for Bradley Beal and if his value declines to the point where it's like, all right, we throw him those four extra first round picks we have, uh, one of our own and just like one of our young guys, like sure. But I don't really think he's changing your life if you're the Knicks. He's turning you from a 42 win team into like a maybe, maybe, maybe a 50 win team, depending on who you retain and maybe a second round berth in the playoffs. But it's sort of the same question you have with Mitchell only amplified Alex. Like, does that really change your life? If you're, if you're a Knicks fan or if you're the New York Knicks. Yeah. And I think the big thing with Beal too, is he makes so much more money, right? Like, yeah. it, you know, it's, it, so you're taking a bigger risk cap wise by bringing him on because Beal by the end of his contract in 2026, 27, should he choose to pick it up is going to be making almost $60 million dollars. Uh, whereas I'm fairly certain that Donovan Mitchell's does not go nearly that high. Donovan Mitchell will be, will be making in 2025-26, so one year before. Granted, he'll probably decline this because there will be a new CBA by then, new TV deal, whatever. But his final year of his contract is $37 million. So he's got two more years of like just over $30 million, which is a max contract as far as a rookie max, but is not a big contract. I mean, that's like... Seven million more than what Jalen Brunson makes now, which we've been saying is a fair deal. So, like money-wise, yeah, there's a big difference between the two. And then the age, like you said, I would I would be a little like I think because of those factors, I would go to Washington and be like, all right, well, whatever Donovan Mitchell just went for, like you're not getting nearly that because Bradley Beal is not worth that much by comparison to Donovan Mitchell um, because of the age and the contract and everything else. So, you know, Mitchell is really pretty appealing in that regard as, as far as how young he is and how affordable he is for a couple of years before you have to pay him, giving you at least one more season to build around him and really like make things 
you know, shore things up and hopefully build a team that can be more of a contender. Um, a guy that I'll throw out there, and, and look, I know this is probably a long shot. I mean, it's he's on a team that's been near the top of the standings for a long time, but sort of similar to the Jazz, and there's another guy. Actually, I'll just bring up two guys at, at the same time here. Two guys that are on teams that are really good right now that have had no problems making the playoffs as high seeds for at least the last few years that are in the primes of their career. But, you know, like I've been saying with Donovan Mitchell, like if you went back a year from now and, and told me, uh, you know, hey, Donovan Mitchell next summer is going to be potentially on the verge of being a Nick because he's going to want to get traded real bad. I would be like, what? <laughs> like their team was just like the number one seed in the Western Conference. Like, what are you talking about? You know, they, they could make some tweaks and they could make that thing work probably. So things do change on a dime. So the two names I'll throw out are Joel Embiid and Devin Booker. The reason being former Leon Rose clients, just like Donovan Mitchell, that connection obviously exists. And guys that I feel like at a certain point will sort of want greener pastures. Like Booker is on a really good team with the Suns. He's enjoying himself a ton. He definitely loves playing with Chris Paul and, you know, DeAndre Ayton, it seems like, and all that stuff. But ownership there not very kind to the players <laughs> uh it seems like the players are not a huge fan of sarver so maybe you know if the suns flame out again in the first round or something then you know he starts looking towards potentially asking for a trade as soon as like next summer i don't think it's particularly likely but again the nba is not a league of the likely uh, i don't think that anyone would have predicted that both durant and Kyrie would want out of brooklyn you know earlier this summer and yet here we are you know uh, so then as far as Embiid, it's basically the same thing. You know, they've been trying for a while to build around him. Uh, obviously, you know, they've got James Harden. Harden just took a pay cut and whatever. And they've presumably added some really good pieces, you know, around Harden and Embiid to hopefully compete next year. We'll see how it all works out. But if, you know, if Embiid finds himself again as a high seed and flaming out in the first or second round, he, he might also be like, you know what? It's time for a change. Like this is we've tried. It's just not working. You know, get me out of here. I don't know. I don't know if they're particularly likely, but those are two names I would definitely keep an eye on just for that Leon Rose connection. And because they're in those sort of stagnant high seed situations where players tend to ask out of at, at certain points. Now, weirdly, like the stars have been asking out of the high profile situations, like the high seeds that have been underperforming more so than like the middling teams like the Wizards with Beal or uh, the Blazers with Lillard, for example. So I think those are two guys worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out a couple more. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a name Knicks fans have bandied about a whole lot. To me, it basically comes down to um, his patience and also just how much he likes living in Oklahoma City. Because the Thunder are on, I think we can objectively agree, like a fantastic trajectory. Like Josh Giddy, I, I think is absolutely the real deal. Like to me, that's I, might be my favorite uh, Knicks aside, young backcourt in the NBA. Uh, him and SGA, Chet, I think at the very least is going to be a really, really helpful player. And then they just have a, a million ways to fill in every single piece around those guys that you could possibly need. And I mean, if they get some lottery luck next year, the the best player of that group might not even be on the team yet. But does SGA, like if they, let's just say they, these odds are, even if they finish the worst record in length, they won't get Wembenyama. Does he want to wait two, three years for this to all come to fruition? Does he like living in Oklahoma City? Because to me, he is he's a guy from a player perspective. I, I think I could make a pretty good case that I would rather have him 
than Donovan Mitchell, just because there are no questions about his defense. Similar to Mitchell, he's not the shooter that Mitchell is, or even close, but he's just hyper, hyper efficient offensively. Pretty much the best guy in the NBA outside of Luka Doncic at getting to the rim and finishing. Um, I think that part of his game is, I mean, it's just going to be there for the next decade or so. And, and the weird off-kilter pace that he plays at, how smart he is. Um, I, I don't even, I almost don't care who the Knicks would have to give up to me. Like he would immediately be the Knicks like future. Like he, he's a guy I think who could be the second best player on an NBA championship team. So if he was somehow available, I don't think the Thunder, I think it'd be extremely stupid to even entertain offers for him. But if for some weird reason he wants out of there, that's a guy I'd be intrigued by. Um, I'll, I'll end my portion of this segment with one uh, kind of far out name, but uh, that, that people, everyone cover your ears here. Uh, Trey Young. Uh, if Oklahoma City, or sorry, not Oklahoma City, if Atlanta is not good again, and I honestly don't think, despite getting DeJounte Murray, Atlanta's going to be very good this year. I think they're going to be a borderline playoff team, and if they get to the playoffs, it'll be very similar to last time around. I could see him being like, hey, I'm not really feeling this anymore, guys. And look, I don't I don't know how appetizing that would be for the Knicks, given that he has very real issues. I think Miami exposed offensively on top of defensively, but you're talking young talents. He is pure talent, one of the most exciting guys under 25 in the league. Yeah, I mean, and he certainly loves playing in Madison Square Garden, so that's something. I think the I, I agree with Shea as well. I think the the other thing to consider with Shea is like the Thunder have been so blatantly tanking for the last few years, and they figure to do that again this year. How many more years is Shea going to be okay with them, like more or less like resting him for a third of the season? You know what I mean, like. That these players, they're competitors, you know, like they want to go out there and they want to play well and they want to, you know, light it up and, and, you know, play their best all the time and, you know, lead a team and win and whatever. And like Shea has had tastes of that, like with the Clippers and with OKC that first year, you know, with Chris Paul and everything. So, you know, at what point does he say, I don't feel like tanking anymore. I don't feel like being rested through half of the prime of my career at this point you know, trade me because I'm, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And, and it's, you know, it's a player's league. They always say that it's a player's league and all these guys are human beings and they're competitors and they want to, you know, be on the floor and be playing basketball. So if OKC starts going down that path again of like resting all their guys and throwing out a G League squad for the last third of the season or more, maybe Shea says, you know what, let's let's work on something to get me out of here. Maybe even as soon as the deadline, because you know that I could see that being very frustrating for a what is he like twenty four year old player like just entering his prime. It's pretty frustrating to be told like, no, we want to be really bad this year. We're sorry, you know, you're too good, so we're gonna sit you. <laughs> I I don't know how much I would love hearing that for like the third straight year. So that's that's what I would consider with him. But Gavin, uh, I don't think we're quite there with future odds for anyone other than Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks yet. But if anyone wants to bet on any future players to the Knicks, where might they want to head? You know, there, there, there's someone I'll bring up in just a sec, but I got to tell you guys, the place is betonline.net. They're the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They have you covered. And Alex, they have us covered on this podcast because the next guy I wanted to bring up is actually Kevin Durant. And, and there are odds out there on his next team, if not the Nets, 
Uh, the Boston Celtics, the heavy favorites, even though um, I'm not sure how realistic that is. Then the Golden State Warriors at seven to two. The Phoenix Suns at six to one. Your New York Knicks all the way down the list at sixteen to one. Is that perhaps too low? Uh, we'll tell you in just a sec. But first, head to Bet Online today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. And Alex, let's come back right there. Kevin Durant, we, we've heard some talk of Kyrie Irving potentially being an option for the New York Knicks when that situation seemingly inevitably blows up in Brooklyn. Do you think Kevin Durant, is there a chance that the Nets would trade him cross town if the Knicks just very clearly had the best package for him and the Nets were like, you know what? It sucks to do. It's painful. Everyone's going to laugh at us, but we're getting back RJ Barrett and, and this many picks. So we just, we got to do it. It sounds to me like, based off the stuff that's coming out around Brooklyn right now, that Kyrie and KD are starting to kind of come to terms with like, well, we might have to start the season in Brooklyn at this point. And I think maybe they're trying to build up towards the trade deadline or something, or even getting traded in like December, January, something like that. Um, because the Nets are probably just like, well, we're going to hold out for like a super King's ransom. And, you know, I, I think maybe what it's going to take is Kyrie and KD, like essentially mailing it in on the court every night, like sort of like what James Harden was doing, you know, towards the end uh, for the Nets to finally be like, all right, we can only do so much of this. Like, we'll just trade you. We'll take the best offer. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I do think if you're the Knicks, though, and if Mitchell gets traded, then you should look at KD, of course. You know, you should, of course, make an offer and say, hey, we just had this package ready for Donovan Mitchell. Like, do you want it for Durant? And if they're like, sure, then, you know, whatever. And you might even be able to swing a deal that's a little more advantageous for you uh, if you're the Knicks because the Nets have expressed that they sort of want to, like, reload rather than rebuild, whereas the Jazz seem pretty primed to jump directly into a rebuild um i think the nets are like well no matter what we'll still have ben simmons on the team so if we can like you know get ben simmons motivated properly and whatever and build a decent core around him maybe we could still build something so we'll see what happens there um but yeah it's certainly i mean sort of like it would be like in a weird reverse fashion almost like the carmelo anthony saga right where the the Knicks had this offer for Carmelo and the Nets had this offer for Carmelo and ultimately the Knicks, you know, pushed their extra chip in, which was Timofey Mozgov and, you know, said, okay, we'll do it. And they, they won the bidding war. Right. And then, you know, they get Carmelo Anthony, the Nets turned around surprisingly like 12 hours later and we're like, okay, we got Darren Williams. And people were like, what? <laughs> like we didn't see that happening. And, you know, it was at the time people almost thought like, of course we saw how it worked out. Darren Williams, precipitously fell off when he went to the Nets. But, you know, it, people thought at the time, like, damn, you know, maybe the maybe the Nets just got the better player with the same package that they were just going to use on Carmelo Anthony. So maybe there's a situation like that where that could happen for the Knicks. If some other team hops in and gets Mitchell, then maybe the Knicks just turn around and say, hey, we'll give you this for KD instead and just do it and see what they can do with KD for a year or two years, it's, three years, whatever. <laughs> this is uh, it's a little crazy, but... Is there a world where the Knicks could trade for Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant? I don't think so because I think it's just too many, too many picks and both teams like the Nets and the Knicks would want those picks and it would come down. The Nets would need to love RJ Barrett, like probably more than any team in the league loves RJ Barrett. And, and again, if the rumors are true that the Celtics offer Jalen, uh, excuse me, Jalen Brown for KD and the Nets turn that down, then I don't think RJ Barrett's good enough because obviously Brown's older, but sort of a better version of what Barrett 
currently is. But if the Knicks, let's just say they get away with trading the like three of their unprotected picks for Mitchell and like two of the other ones and quickly and salary. And then they turn around and go to the Nets and say, all right, RJ Grimes, OB and all of our remaining picks. And if you're the Knicks, you could say, all right, would you even do that? Because then there's not enough left, but it leaves you with the starting lineup of Brunson, Mitchell, Katie, Julius Randall. I don't even, I'm, I'm ignoring the salary cap here, but, um, and, uh, and Mitchell Robinson. And then like whoever you can piece together on the bench, maybe Hartenstein. I don't know if that's a championship team, but it would, it's it's pretty close. You'd be in the running. So that's uh, that's that's my crazy uh, harebrained theory for the day. If the Knicks want to go all in on all the, it would be like the ultimate amalgamation of all the like dumb Knicks stuff they've done over the years. They're like, we're going to trade every single thing we have mm-hmm. for, for these, except they they'd be getting two top twenty players in the league. Um, I was going to say, I don't even know yeah. that it would be dumb. It would just be like ballsy, you know, It'd like be really ballsy. Yeah. yeah, it's just like you're showing a lot of stones doing that. Like yeah. if you're willing to say. All right, because if you're making that deal and you're you're sending off RJ, every other young player, like all of your available draft picks, you're probably sending off at that point. All all swaps, so you're gonna have no control over your draft for like nine, ten years, <laughs> and you know get rid of all these extra assets you've built up, everything else, and build around that core. You're basically saying this core has to win a championship, or else this is a failure. Yeah. So that you know, whereas with a Mitchell trade, you could still keep a little bit of keep a little bit of powder in the in the keg, you know, and and have some stuff ready for the future. You at least sort of hedge a little bit, you know, uh, whereas with and you still have RJ Barrett, presumably after that deal. Whereas if you do that deal and you try to bring both those guys in at once, you're you're saying like, nah, this has to work like now or else we're <laughs> or else it's over. Like you sort of put yourself almost in a situation like where the Nets are now, where they have very little assets. They have. Guys that want out, it does not look like this core is going to win a championship at this point. And now they're kind of found, uh, stuck with this situation of having to offload those guys and try to retool in some way or another to recoup the huge investment that they made in that hard Kyrie and, and Durant core. So, which, you know, we'll see how they do with the Durant trade. Maybe they will be able to do that. And, and you know, you never know. I guess we could close this like other targets segment by saying uh, there's a couple names we haven't brought up yet for different reasons first off is there any you can make this like a quick answer because i think we only need one word for this is there any world where you even entertain bringing Kyrie Irving on board yeah really as a world yeah i don't i don't think it's like it's like a again like what i kind of talked about with quickly being an all-star it's like a two and a hundred world but yeah you get if you end up with well i don't know with brunson here he doesn't make any sense it would be like it would have to be a year from now like when you could trade brunson because him and brunson don't work together I don't know. I just, I just think like that's that's the funny thing with like. There's a reason why people keep indulging Kyrie Irving, right? He's really, really good, and you need really, really good players to win. Obviously, he has to show up for that to be a thing, and he is just tanked the last few teams he's on. So it's very unlikely. But in the world where like the Knicks made multiple mega trades and they already had two stars in place, and you wanted the guy to put you over the top, maybe. Yeah, I just say I, I'm I'm flatly out of no at this point with him i just think he's too much of a distraction like i don't think all you know i don't think 40 games worth of you know for whenever he's not taking time off or injured or whatever the case may be 40 games of like 30 point per game production out of him with questionable defense i'm like "Mm, i don't well no 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 but he's he's gonna burn some sage in your locker room you gotta you gotta take the good and the bad yeah it's true he'll burn some sage the last name this is a name that the knicks have been attached to in the past 
But now these days, I think I'm mostly out on Damian Lillard. Let's say he becomes available. Do you do you make a swing on Damian Lillard? I don't. I don't want him. No. I mean, yeah. we, we were talking about this pre-show, but the last few years of his contract, when he's making sixty million a year, he's going to be the worst defensive player in the NBA. Like, I just, I don't see. I, I think his offensive game is pretty sustainable. And, and again, it's maybe similar to the Kyrie clause, like where if he was the final piece to just put you over the top, you kind of say screw it and, and, and you risk it. But I, I don't think any team other than Portland really wants to pay him the kind of money that he's going to be making. Yeah, it's insane. I, I was looking at his contract before we started recording and I was like, you know, like we talked about it with Beal a minute ago. Um, and, you know, Beal is going to be making similar money by the end of his deal in the same year. But Beals at least younger, you know, and at least shows some semblance of a two-way game still. He's just bigger. Bit. He's he's much bigger. And he's bigger, yeah. yeah. Like plays a more, I would say, more premium position, you know, as a shooting guard, wing, you know, type player. Whereas Lillard, yeah, I mean, he's he's a point guard. He can't defend anything anymore. Yes, he could score like 60 points for you on any given night, but I don't want to pay him $60 million. Even with a new TV deal, even if the cap goes up to – 150 million or something or 160 million, whatever people are saying it might go up to. I, I don't want to be paying him $60 million point blank period. Like that's just way too much money for what he's going to be uh, by the time that it's 2026 to 27, you know, it's just so far away from now <laughs> the league like completely turns over like every two years. So I, I don't want to be on for th- three iterations of the NBA from now. I don't want to be still, you know, tethered to Damian Lillard making $60 million a year. Yeah. Uh, but Gavin, we got some some less speculative things to talk about in just a second. We're going to talk about, uh, well, we are going to talk about when we expect the Mitchell trade to go down briefly. But we'll also talk about uh, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson and whether there could be a little bit of a, a – controversy of which one is going to be better by partway through the season. But we're just going to take our final break, then come back and discuss that. All right, so we're back to talk about Isaiah Hartenstein. We have a question from uh, Twitter. Buy low, sell high at swing underscore trade 55 on Twitter wants to know, I wonder how long before Tibbs and Leon Rose all realize we play much better when Hartenstein is at center instead of Mitch than another season of watching Tibbs being hard-headed and not starting him instead. You know this is coming. Um, I don't know that I fully agree with the premise of this question, Gavin, but I'll, I'll throw it to you first. How do you feel about Hartenstein and, and the possibility that Hartenstein might show himself much like I'm assuming that, the you know, what um, Bilo Selhai was getting at was the uh, like Alfred Payton versus Emmanuel quickly of it all sort of thing. I don't know that I necessarily see a world where that situation comes to pass, though, but I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think it's highly contingent on if you trade for Mitchell or not. If you trade for Donovan Mitchell, then I think you absolutely need Mitchell Robinson to be in the starting lineup as a defensive anchor and to be your Rudy Gobert light. Um, and he's not he's not Gobert, but around the rim, he has a similar type of impact. And Hartenstein was one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. But as much as we, we've talked about with, with Mitch uh, last season, all right, he's lost maybe a little bit of that foot speed on the perimeter in the Knicks consistently I mean part of it was just that this was Tibbs's scheme but you can see the difference between how they used Jericho Sims and how they used Mitch with Sims where they were really really comfortable with him switching on the perimeter with Mitch they were a little bit more reticent to do that consistently with Hardenstein people have mixed feelings about how good he is switching on the perimeter from what I've seen from him on film he's certainly not the worst in the NBA at it like there there are some uh some guys who are just a barbecue chicken out there 
Uh, Hardenstein, I wouldn't put quite in that category, but he's a significant step down from Mitch. And if you're going to have a backcourt, um, not that Brunson is horrible, but he's certainly not an annual quickly out there. If you're going to have a backcourt that's really small, I just think Mitchell Robinson becomes essential at center. If you don't trade for him and, and you have like a, a different starting backcourt and maybe Grimes is out there, maybe quickly is getting more minutes with the starters. I, and, and you, especially if you have Julius Randle, I actually do think Hartenstein makes way more sense with Randall than Mitchell Robinson does offensively with, with how good of a passer he is um, off the elbow. And I guess you could argue Randall would steal some of those possessions, but I just think having someone who's a, who's an exceptionally smart ball mover next to Randall makes a lot of sense be, just because Randall's so slow and methodical in that aspect of his game. And that Hartenstein has flashed at least a little bit of potential to shoot the three. And if he's out there, you can't leave him totally alone where Mitch, like you just can't pull him away from the basket at all. I do think at some point this year, there will be a discussion about that. If Julius Randle's on the team the rest of this season, just because he makes more sense. And then with Mitch, like you play with that bench unit with all that shooting, all that passing, it sort of minimizes some of his weaknesses offensively. And you could just have killer, killer defense. Ultimately, you're paying Mitchell Robinson $60 million. I think he's going to be the starter. But I, I do see the argument for Hardenstein being a better fit with the other four guys who are going to be out there. Yeah, I could see it too situationally. But I, I do think that I think that what you said about you know needing Mitch out there for the rim protection, I think that's going to be true whether a, a like whether a Mitchell deal goes down or not. I think that the Knicks will rely on Mitch's rim protection a lot in that starting lineup because if Randall is going to play the same def- level of defense that he played last year, forget about it. Like you definitely need someone down there that can handle that. Um, to you know, be fair, yeah. Hardenstein is is really good at that, but I, I hear your point. I think he hasn't seen the same volume of shots that Mitch has seen. My my main worry with Hartenstein too is something we talked about. You know, amidst all of the positives, like he is like maybe one of the most advanced stat darling players in the entire NBA. His foul rate is insanely high. That's a like, good point. You know, he averages like like six and a half fouls per thirty six or something, or like more than that even. You know, depending on what I think, I think his, I think this past year he averaged like seven fouls per 36 or something, which was like the best number he's put up his whole career, <laughs> which is why he's generally like a 20 minute situational player. Cause he offers a lot of really great things, but still is a little trigger happy on the fouls. Um, so that's my main worry as far as whether he could supplant Mitch. I think what will happen is there's going to be a lot of times where he comes out there and the positives that he puts out there, despite the fouls are going to make some people say like, why isn't he starting? He's so good. Look, he just made like two three pointers in five minutes. You know, like he could stretch the floor. He just got a block too. He's a good rebounder. Like I will say one thing I've seen, you know, from watching him, like sets great screens, you know, like he's really good at setting screens and, you know, setting up the offense for everybody. Good passer. Yes. I think that's all true. I think that ultimately it's going to be a situational skill though. It's going to be a skill that you want off the bench. Uh, he'll be great at keeping things moving with that that more fast-paced bench unit. If we're assuming that Julius Randle is still around, I think I actually like the prospect of Hartenstein playing more minutes with Obi Toppin off the bench and you know being able to be an outlet passer for him, to be able to throw it down court for Obi to get a dunk or whatever, also to hit Obi cutting back door you know, from the elbow, like you said, because he's a good elbow passer. I think I would appreciate him more in that role than with the starters where – I think there's going to still be a lot of, even without Mitchell, a lot of like, uh, I mean, unfortunately, a decent amount of ISO and, um, you know, stuff like that. That's going to, and also with Brunson, I think that, you know, having a, a great pick and roll, you know, finisher like Mitch 
would maybe be a little more beneficial than the skills that Hartenstein offers, you know, so having the rim runner that can finish the jams where, you know, Brunson works so well with a lesser player like that um, with like Dwight Powell in, in the, you know, in Dallas with the Mavs, I think maybe that's, that's something that I would want to explore more than, than Hartenstein. But I I think there's definitely going to be stretches where Hartenstein looks like the better player this year. And it's all just going to be situational and who he's playing against and how he's playing that day. And a lot of it is going to be whether he can keep the fouls in check because that's been easily the biggest problem with his career so far to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. I think I think that's a great point. And 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 with Hartenstein, I mean, until you see it, there's questions if he can do it for 32 minutes a night, every single night. And I'll, I'll reiterate one more one final time. Mitch is on a 60 million dollar contract. Hartenstein is on a 16 million dollar contract. And we've seen over and over again with the New York Knicks that that matters, right? If, if, if all else is equal, the guy who's making more money uh, for better or worse, usually for worse is going to be the one who plays. All right. A question from Steve Thomas at Dark Steve 590 estimated date for a Mitchell trade. Uh, I will say, I think if, if you want an exact date on it, something like November, like 20th or like 18th, like I think a couple weeks into the season is like, I, I could definitely still see it getting done before the season. Like there's just so much, posturing on both ends it's hard to tell like it could be on the precipice of being done or they could really have not talked for the last few weeks as, as, as people say we really have no way of knowing but I think it's going to take Mitchell playing and it being kind of awkward and Will Hardy the Jazz's new coach being inundated with questions every day like so is it weird coaching Donovan knowing that he's probably going to leave him Will Hardy having to be like oh well Donovan's a, a fixture in this franchise and he's going to be here a very long time like like all that going on and like the weirdness in Utah I think that'll be what ultimately applies at least some pressure on Danny Ainge. And then to your previous point, the prospect of the Jazz getting further and further away from getting one of the top seven or eight picks in this draft and and taking someone who in other drafts at, at number six could have gone number one or two. Um, I think that will that will also be applying some pressure. Um, and then there'll be some pressure the Knicks way too, especially if the Knicks don't get off to a great start. So I have a feeling I'm going to say first couple weeks of the season. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I actually think a little earlier. Um, I'm going to go with like, uh, let's see if I put an actual date on it. October, no, September 23rd. I I don't know why I picked that date, but I think like late September, early October before training camp, you know, I don't think Ainge is, I I think that for exactly the reasons you just said, I don't think Ainge is going to be willing to wait that long uh, because he's not going to want to put, He's not going to want to start things off with a brand new coach with this young core of guys, you know, and all this stuff. Plus, he's going to want to give Hardy all of his guys going into training camp, I think, because I think that's going to be really important in establishing like a new culture and all that stuff. You know, you're not going to want to have your superstar going through the motions, setting a bad example, you know, which I, I don't think that Mitchell would be like outwardly pouty or anything. That doesn't seem like his M.O., but he would definitely be like the guy who's put in his two weeks notice already you know, and is not going to put in full effort. So I think the Ainge will feel a little bit of pressure by like the end of September at the latest to finally just say, all right, you know what? We've canvassed the league five times over. We've played the media game. We've done everything. Like, let's just take the best offer that the Knicks can give us. Like, because nobody else is even giving us an indication that they want to move and shake to make something else happen. Um, So, yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I think late September, a little before like training camp and stuff opens, because I think Ainge will just want to avoid that whole headache and just be over with the whole situation. Go into the season with, you know, 
some optimism about like, hey, we've got these picks coming up. We've got all these young guys like selling it to the fan base of like, here's the new young core. You know, things might be rough this year, but we're going to have a good time and we're going to have a new coach. We're going to establish a culture. We're going to play hard, blah, blah, blah. And all that sort of stuff rather than going in with the, the headache of a Mitchell. Uh, but we got one last question for this episode here. Uh, this comes from Nick's idiot. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> so self-deprecating at perpetuum five twenty-five five twenty-nine. Uh, Gavin, I think this one's just going to go to me. Cause I think we've, we've had this discussion before, but to all hosts name your favorite professional wrestler in the States and why do you have any opinion on this? Were you like an attitude era kid or anything? No, I did go to um, one of my uh, best friends is a big WWE friend fan. Mm-hmm. So for his birthday in, I want to say 2019, I bought him tickets and went. It was it was a good time. Yeah. I, I think I, I'll say I'll say this. Uh, not or maybe he is currently wrestling. I don't know, but John Cena, underrated actor, very mm-hmm. funny guy. Um, okay. Yeah, made made, made an all time transition. So uh, I'll I'll say John Cena. But uh, who uh, give it give us the the in depth answer on this one? Yeah. So I mean. My history of watching wrestling, I watched like religiously from when I was like 10 to when I was like 16, 17 years old. I used to watch like so like Attitude Era because I was around like year 2000, 1999, something like that uh, up until like uh, like I, just after what they call the Ruthless Aggression Era, which is like the like early to mid uh, 2000s. So my favorites from back then, when I used to watch religiously then, were um, Stone Cold and The Rock, obviously. Those are my two goats, as far as I'm concerned. They, like, I'm sure I'm not the only person that they, that they like, turned on to wrestling as a kid, but they were amazing. Uh, uh, Mick Foley and all of his various incarnations, the dude is, like, uh, maybe the guy that most sacrificed his body ever for wrestling, which is just insane. I mean, a guy of his size getting like thrown off of like a 20 something foot high cage as many times as he did all that stuff, like hell in a cell, all that iconic undertaker is amazing. Triple H was amazing too. Brock Lesnar actually was always one of my favorites. He's still wrestling today. I still occasionally will like look up a match or two of his from, from modern times. Um, trying to think who else Cena. I, I really loved Cena back in the yeah. day too. Batista, Randy Orton, you know, all who those is, guys. Who was the seven three guy? Who was just like you had like the long black hair. Oh, uh Great Kali, maybe? Yeah, he was cool. Like yeah, that. he was yeah. he was really stiff in the ring though. He really yeah. sucked as a competitor, but he was cool in how big he was. I was just like that uh, guy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The big show though, that's a big guy that actually was not stiff. He was always really good. Uh I always love Big Show, Paul White. Uh mm-hmm. present day, I've gotten back into wrestling a bit with AEW. Um my cousin actually works as a as an like amateur pro wrestler, mm-hmm. uh Dan Champion. Everybody go find him on Twitter or whatever and you know, go watch him somewhere in the Lehigh Valley PA or whatever. Uh but he's got some buddies that are with AEW, so I kind of started like watching that again and it sort of renewed my verve for pro wrestling again so uh i like cm punk everybody likes cm punk i think uh the acclaimed the tag team they're one of my favorites right now orange cassidy is one of my cousin's like childhood best friends so i I always uh support him and he has a fun gimmick chris jericho is still doing really good shit to this day um trying to think who else like stands out to me. I like John Moxley. I didn't really watch his run in WWE, but like I like him a lot. He's a lot of fun to watch in the ring. Um uh Dante Martin is a guy. It's like one of their younger guys. He's been fun to watch. He's like super uh high flying and and very entertaining in that regard. Um 
Wardlow, I like is because he's like enormous, but still pulls off like like moonsaults and crap off the off the top rope and stuff like that. He's awesome. Uh, Britt Baker is probably my favorite female wrestler at the moment because I think she's like the only one there that has truly good mic skills and is a great heel. I love a good heel. And speaking of great heels, another local guy to New York, MJF. I love MJF, although I guess there's like this weird storyline where people aren't sure if he's actually trying to get out of AEW right now or if it's all part of a storyline. Yeah. <laughs> but like he gave like this really scathing uh, uh, promo uh, like two months ago and hasn't been seen since. And so nobody knows if it's like a storyline or if he's actually like trying to get out of the promotion. But who knows? But he's awesome, too. He's he's hilarious. He's a really good heel. Like, and he just, like, never breaks character. There's all these videos of him, like, at, like, little fan events and whatever. And, like, still just, like, telling everybody they suck and that they're not as good as him and whatever. And, like, he never puts the, the veil down at all. So I like him a lot, too. I think that's probably the end of my list. But, yeah, that's my that's my pro wrestling list. Uh, I, I might actually try to go. I mean, I'll let people know if they want to, like, say hello to me or whatever. I'm trying to maybe go to the the AEW event when they go to uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium next month. So that would be pretty fun. But a little, little off-season activity, non-Knicks, non-Mets thing for me to do. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my current wrestler ranking. Gavin, do you have anything to add to that before we go now that I've gone for five minutes? <laughs> nope, nope, you're good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, we end this edition of Locked on Knicks. We'll be back next week getting through some more mailbag questions because you guys dropped us a, a number of them. But if you still want to ask a question, we have a solicitation up on Twitter, or you can always just DM us on Twitter. You can even ask in the YouTube comments if you're here on YouTube. So uh, if you got any mailbag questions, let us know. But until next time, thank you all for listening. I'm Alex. He's Gavin. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.